0: don't you just share that with somebody say it was a happy day when Jesus washed my sins away as you take your seats this afternoon now sometimes we need to be reminded of the truth of where we've come from and what God has done in our lives amen you know sometimes we we forget, we forget so so easily we, we we we're surrounded with so much stuff that takes up our attention, sometimes we forget. What such a glorious, glorious salvation that we have received. And and if you're here today, this afternoon, and you do not know Jesus Christ, you do not know Him in your life as your Lord and your personal Savior, I pray that by the end of this this service this afternoon, as we uh, witness the baptism of those who are saying today that, yes, I belong to Jesus, that you will find that same hope yourself. Because, you know, when you encounter the Lord Jesus Christ, you will never, ever be the same again. No, that's a fact. If you encounter Jesus, you will never, ever be the same again. We see many, many accounts in the Scriptures of how people encountered Jesus during His earthly ministry, and not a single one of them remained the same. And, and, and many, many, many came to embrace His salvation work for their lives. And all over the world, even today, many, many are meeting with Jesus and embracing His salvation work for their lives today. Amen? Well, I'm not going to be speaking about meeting Jesus this afternoon. Unfortunately, I feel that I should speak on that subject, but that's not the subject I'm going to be speaking about this afternoon. A few weeks back, we started a series on the wells of revival, the wells of revival. You know, so often it is said that, you know, God is on the move and God is on the move amongst us today. Amen? Amen. Some of you need some 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 belief in your heart. God is on the move amongst us today. Amen. 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 And so over the last few Few weeks we've been looking at how we can rise up to be people who build the kingdom of God because God is on the move amongst us. We are God's workmanship, the apostle Paul says, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You have been designed to do a good work. Amen. God has planned it, God has purposed it, God has designed it so that you would do a good work. And sometimes we can look at ourselves, look at our limit limitations look at our hang-ups, look at our, 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 our frailties, and we think, well, you know, how can God really use me to be this individual that does this good work? Well, God is not relying on you. He's relying on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of galvary We are who we are because of what Jesus Christ has done. And we can do what we do because of what Jesus Christ has done. And thank God that the scripture says that we are all here hidden in Christ you and I are hidden in him and when God looks at you and I the first thing he sees he sees the finished work of Calvary he sees somebody who is perfect somebody who is without blemish not because of anything that you and I can do or will ever do but because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross of Calvary and the reason why I'm stating this again is because I want us to have a fresh confidence in the fact that we can be used by God amen God can use you. God can use you. You know, uh, I'm amazed in, in one of the areas that, um, as part of my, 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 my res- responsibility, my designation in the church, is that uh, uh, I often have to deal with some of the elderly in our church. And we have several people in this house who are well into their 90s. And they're in cells. I'll say that again. We have people in this house who are well into their 90s and they are in self. So if you're here today and you have not plugged in to the vision of this house, and, and, and really it's not just a, a formula, a structure, and approach, but we believe that God has given us this vision to make sure that every single one of us, we fulfill the potential that Jesus Christ has for us. Amen? God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, it says, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to bring you to an expected end. And all the translation says, plans to give you a future and a hope. God wants to use you and to use you for his glory. Amen. Well, this afternoon, um, before we baptize our candidates, we want to delve a little bit more into this subject of, of the work of building the kingdom. And today, I want to speak specifically on taking responsibility. Specifically, taking a new responsibility because we need to take responsibility and to lead. Amen? We need to take responsibility and to lead. Jesus makes this amazing statement in John chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, turn with me and we'll start off there this afternoon. Because, you see, God has a confidence in you. God has put all his eggs in one basket. And that basket is you and I. That's God's basket and he's put all the eggs in there because he has confidence that we will produce the goods. In John 15 and verse 16, the scripture says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give you. I have chosen you. I have appointed you that you should go and that you should bear fruit and that that fruit should be fruit that remains. Fruit that remains. You see, to be appointed means that we've been selected, we've been designated, we've been assigned, we've been allotted, we've been equipped for it, we have the capacity to succeed. We have the capacity to win. And you see, we have an enemy who wants to keep us from doing what God wants us to do in our lives, from taking the responsibility of the kingdom, from taking the responsibility to lead. And I'll break that down a little bit this afternoon, because oftentimes when you speak about taking the responsibility to lead, the first connotation that comes into people's mind is that, ah, well, that's Pastor Colin, that's Pastor Bruce, that's the leadership of this house, the pastors, that's my cell leader, that's not me. Because when we speak about leadership, maybe an image arises in your mind of somebody who is perfect and complete and lacking nothing. Let me say that that is just not a true picture or image. Every single one of us who stand on this platform, who lead from this platform, the cell leaders that meet with you on a weekly basis, they're still a work in progress. God is not finished yet. We are all in the build business of being changed into the express image of Jesus Christ. And that's an ongoing work. And thank God it is an ongoing work. I'm excited because God is not finished with me yet. You know, if I looked at myself and I thought God was finished with me, I'd be very dissatisfied. Because I know that there are many areas that God still needs to work in my life. And I'm sure many areas that he still needs to work in your life. Because God is always on the move. God is always working. God is always bringing about change and transformation in our lives. You see, Jesus Christ's sole purpose for coming to this earth, in John 1, 1, he says, to as many as received him, to them he gave power, to them he gave enablement, to them he gave the capacity to become the sons of God. To become the sons of God. Now, there's an imagery which we're all familiar with in this country, and that's the royal family. And so when we speak about royalty, we speak about uh, kinship, we speak about that whole sphere, we understand what we're talking about because we can point to it. Now, very recently, there was a new addition to the royal family. Do you know who I'm talking about? Anybody know who I'm talking about? His name is George. Prince George. Now, what did Prince George do to become Prince George? I'll ask that question again. What did Prince George do to become Prince George? Nothing. He was born into the royal family. He was born into that princely nature, that princely title, that, that, that place of royalty, that place of, 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 of position. It has got nothing to do with him. But everything to do with the birth that happened and the way he was brought forth into this world. And so Prince George, for the rest of his life, will be the son. And one day, if, if it's the case that, you know, the queen dies or uh, gives up her uh, position and Prince Charles then goes in and gives up his position, then one day he will become the son of a king because William will be king. Now, he has not done anything To become the son of a king apart from the fact that he was born into the royal family. The Bible speaks in Peter that you and I are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a peculiar people because we have been taken out of darkness and we have been brought into light. The sonship that you and I have... It's nothing to do with anything that you and I will ever do or ever try to do. But it's got everything to what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary. And so when the Bible speaks about us being appointed, we are being appointed into this role of being sons of the living God, daughters of the living God. To as many as received him, to them he gave the enablement to become the sons of God. Now over the course of his life, Prince George will be taught. He will be trained. He will be given instruction and guidance. There are certain things that will not be becoming of him simply because of the position and the place that he finds himself. He will need to act a certain way, speak a certain way, do things a certain way. He can't just go about doing stuff like anybody else because he's not anybody else. He has been born into royalty. And in the same way, you and I, when we give our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been born into the kingdom of God. And so we can't just act anyway, be anyway. There is a responsibility and an onus on us to respond to the call and the commission that we have been given. And so whether you like it or not, and I say this before I even go on to state uh, how we can really take this responsibility, whether you like it or not, when God looks at you, he sees somebody who is his son and somebody who's been designated to take the keys of the kingdom and to lead. Amen? Now, for some of us, that will be... In a small context, some of us that will be in a large context, the way that God works it out is down to his supreme will and purpose. But every single one of us, because we carry the DNA of the divine, because you and I are formed and fashioned in his image, we have the capacity to lead. And so I want to challenge us today to rise up to this selection, to this designation, to this assignment, to what has been allotted to us. In Joshua chapter 13 and verse 1, God makes a very profound statement to Joshua. You know, how many of you know that God has a sense of humor? Okay, some of you don't believe that God has a sense of... Where do you think laughter comes from? It comes from God. And so you need to laugh. How many of you know that you need to... Some of you look like you really need to laugh. Laughter comes from God. You know, and and I'm amazed sometimes I read the scripture and, you know, God says things and I think to myself, God, you have got such a sense of humor. In Joshua 13 and verse 1, we read this. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. Okay? And the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. Now talk about stating the proverbial obvious. Of course, Joshua was old and advanced in years. And then God comes to him and he says to him, Joshua, guess what? You are old and advanced in years. And Joshua is like, thank you, Lord. Thank you for reminding me. You know, sometimes when you look in the mirror, and... no, 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 let's don't go there. But God says this. He says, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. You see, God never gives up on us because we haven't got it guy, like the first time, or the second time, or the third time, or the fourth time. You see, it's not the God of the, you know, there's a song that says he's the God of the second chance. Yes, he's the God of the second chance. But it's the God of the third chance, and the fourth chance, and the fifth chance. Because God will always come back. Because you see, his purposes and his plans for you will not change, despite what you do. We all know the story of Jonah. Yes? Okay. Now, if you don't know the story of Jonah, I'll summarize it. Jonah was given a commission by God to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was a horrible city. Horrible city. Nobody there really served God. And Jonah thought, well, why should I go? These people don't like you anyway. Why should I go and tell them about you? And God says, But I've given you a commission. And he goes, No. And so he goes off in the completely opposite direction, gets on a sheep. But what happens? God causes a storm to come, and in the end, he gets thrown overboard, gets swallowed by this fish, and God gets this fish somehow to bring him back to dry land so that he could go where God had wanted him to go in the first place. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have preferred not to have gone through the process of... How many of you are seasick here? When you go and it's really... I mean, you get really seasick. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, the River Thames, you know, when you're going around. I mean, this was like proper stuff. You know, there was a, a documentary called The Troller Men. Anybody seen that documentary? I mean, I'm absolutely fascinated by people who would go out in such horrendous weather on boats that are going 10 meters up the waves and down at a time just to catch fish. You can tell I'm not a fish lover. I do eat fish anyway. But these guys will put their lives through such challenge, through such difficulty. Why? Because that was their the, 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 the employer. That's what, what their profession was. They were fishermen. And as a fisherman, you catch fish. Despite the weather, despite the situation, despite the circumstance. I'm a fisherman, I catch fish. That's what I do. Despite the circumstance, despite the situation. And so we see Joshua being reminded that you are old, you advance, advanced, but there is still work for you to do. God wants us to rise up and take hold of that responsibility. That call, that commission that he has given us. I mentioned before that God has put all his eggs in one basket. And that basket is you and I. He doesn't have a plan B We are God's plan, his plan A. God wants to use us to affect our world, to to change our world, to impact our world for Jesus Christ. After Jesus Christ had ascended into heaven, the disciples were quite distraught. And you can imagine, they had been expecting because of their Jewish culture, they would have been told about the Messiah that was to come, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and they would have known. And then they would have had the revelation, you know, when Jesus said to Peter, um, f- flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, when he said that Jesus is the Son of God. You are the Son, you are the Christ, the living God. And the, I can imagine, you know, the disciples going back and saying, he's the Messiah, he's the Messiah. Praise Jesus. You know, that's fantastic. It's all sorted. We, we, you know, it's it's, it's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. And everything is going to be wonderful. And thank God we, we aligned ourselves to Him. We know we're on the right side of, 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 of the platform. We are here. We are the Messiah. So that means everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be honky dory. And then Jesus gets taken into custody. Now, at that point, I am sure. And I'm having some preacher's license here, so please allow me. I am sure, but if I was in the disciples' shoes, I'd be thinking, hey, we've seen him raise the dead. We've we've, we've seen him, you know, heal the leper. We've seen him, you know, calm the storms. Hey, he can can just walk off those chains. They've changed him. That's nothing. He'll walk off those chains. He'll come back. He's going to come back. But he didn't come back. And he was taken to, you know, the high priest. And the chains didn't go away. He was being flogged. And the chains didn't go away. Jesus didn't escape. He didn't come back. And all of a sudden, the expectation, the anticipation that the disciples had had was beginning to come lower and lower and lower. And I'm sure at some point the question, maybe he wasn't really the Messiah. Maybe he really wasn't. And all that time Jesus Christ had spent with them, those three years, they'd forgotten what Jesus had said to them. Because now, It didn't seem as if it was all adding up. You know, sometimes when we take responsibility in our lives, it might not seem like everything is adding up. But God is working out his plans and purposes. Amen? Mm -hmm. God is working out his plans and purposes. And so Jesus Christ goes all the way and they're thinking, well, he's going to escape. He's on the cross now. Well, you know what? He's going to come down from the cross. He just did this just so to show how powerful. He's going to come down from the cross. And then he dies. He dies. He dies. He's no longer there. They take him, they bury him in a tomb. And these guys were not in a good place. I would imagine that they were not in a good place. They were dejected. They were thinking, well, it's all hopeless. It's not going to work. All the stuff that he's been telling us for the last three, it's not going to work. Because, I mean, he's not here anymore. And then, Jesus gets raised from the dead. Hallelujah, fantastic. Oh, yes, he's back. He's been raised from the dead. He's he's here, he's back. That's We knew Jesus would do it. We knew Jesus would do it. He's back. And then Jesus says, oh, I'm not staying, by the way. I'm going back to my father. And he leaves them in Acts chapter 1. He goes back to heaven. And they're there, dejected. And the angel comes. And says, why are you worried about that? This same Jesus, you see going into heaven, he will come again. But before Jesus left, he gave them a specific word. Do not leave Jerusalem. Do not leave Jerusalem. See, God puts us in a specific place at a specific time because of the specific thing that he wants to do. It's not by chance that you are part of this house. It's not by chance that you find yourself in Kenston Temple at this time, that you find yourself under the mantle and leadership of our senior minister Colin and the vision of London and the world for Christ. It's not by chance. God has placed you here for a purpose. And so they gathered in the upper room. Acts 2, they were there. The Holy Spirit came. You guys know the story. And, you know, they were, they were anointed by the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're here today and you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, I pray that even as we pray for these candidates and, and as they you know, demonstrate that they are now aligned to Jesus by going through the waters of baptism, that God will touch you and you will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You will receive empowerment to take that responsibility that God wants you to take. Because all of a sudden, these guys who had been hiding, who had been dejected, who had been beside themselves with regards to what was going to happen... They changed. They changed. It didn't matter anymore. It didn't matter whether they got killed. It didn't matter whether they got thrown in jail. It didn't matter whether they were put in chains. It didn't matter anymore because they knew that they had to take up a responsibility and that was a God-given responsibility. You see, what they were doing in Acts chapter 2 was no different from what Jesus had said in Matthew 28. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. So how do we take that responsibility of making disciples? Because that call hasn't changed. Jesus Christ and God's plan for mankind hasn't changed. God's plan is he's not willing that anyone should perish but that all should come to the knowledge of him. Your brother, that family member, That work colleague that you sit next to. That person that you play football with. That person that you go out for coffee with. That student that you do your assignments together with. That individual that you meet on the bus stop every day. God's desire for them is that they will come to the knowledge of him. But we need to take that responsibility in leading. Now... We know that God's desire for us is that we've been chosen and we've been appointed to bear fruit. What kind of fruit? Fruit that remains. Fruit that remains. It starts off by you and I taking a responsibility to win. We need to take a responsibility to win. You know, earlier on this morning, our senior minister was talking about how the fivefold ministry works and how the responsibility of the evangelists yes, they might be a soul winner, but they have a responsibility to equip the saints for winning. Ephesians 4. This is why they have been given the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists for the equipping of the saints. For you and I to be equipped so that we can take that responsibility to lead. And it starts off by winning. We have a vision here called the evangelism of three. Where we pray for three individuals. We we, we bring them before God. We, We believe God and we say, Lord, we want to see these people saved. And that's where the responsibility begins. By you saying, no, I don't want to sit next to that work colleague day in, day out. Let me start by praying for them, praying that they will get saved. No, I, just, I don't just want to go and, and have coffee with that girlfriend. I want to pray for them so that they will get saved. No, I don't just want to go and, and, and play sports with that brother. With that, with that, with that, I want them to get saved. I want them to experience what I have experienced. We need to take that responsibility, saints. You know, when Jesus Christ prays for his disciples in John 17, he prays for them that they will take up that responsibility of making disciples. And he didn't just pray for them, but he prayed for those that they would win and those that those who have won would win and those that those who have won would win and so on and so on and so on. As a matter of fact, the writer of Acts says that this promise is for everyone, for as many as the Lord our God would call. And we need to take a responsibility for these individuals. You see, you don't have to be an expert to take a responsibility. You don't have to be a professional to take a responsibility. You don't have to have been in the ministry. And when I say in the ministry, I'm talking about maybe the people that you think are ordained, the people that stand from this platform. You don't have to be in that place to take a responsibility. The story is told of the woman at the well who encounters Jesus Christ. And this woman's life was transformed, changed. How? Well, Jesus Christ just simply asked her questions. So much so that this woman knew that she needed to receive the message of the Messiah. And after all this had happened, what did she do? Did she not go, and oh, thank you Jesus, I'll just go home now You know, and just rest and bask in God's glory? No, the Bible says she went back and started telling people, come, come, come and see this man. Are we taking that responsibility to say to people, come, come and see this Jesus who I have met with? So we need to take a responsibility to win. We need to take a responsibility to consolidate people into the faith. You know, it's not just to bring them to Jesus Christ, but that responsibility, like the Apostle Paul says, I labor until Christ is formed in them. We read of a very unique individual in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, there's a guy named Ananias. Any of you heard about Ananias? Okay. Now, in Acts, this guy called Saul was terrorizing the Christians. As a matter of fact, he's found there at the stoning of Stephen, present, witnessing Stephen being stoned in Acts 6. And then in Acts chapter 9... He gets a very radical conversion. He is impacted on the road to Damascus, and he gets radically converted. And then in Acts 9 and 10, we're introduced to this guy by the name of Ananias, who now has to do the work of consolidation. Now there is a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire the house of Judas, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in, and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight." no, I don't want that responsibility. It's far, the street called straight. I mean, that's so far away. You know, I have to get on this donkey and then change donkeys again and donkeys again. There were no bosses in those days, by the way. So you change donkeys, I guess. And he's thinking, boy, well, it's far. I don't want to go that far, Lord. I don't, I don't, I don't want to travel all that. Way. And plus, this guy that you're talking about, I've heard about this guy. He's not a very nice man, you know. What if I go and it was all a pretense and, you know, I get locked in chains? And you know, sometimes the enemy will come and stop us by giving us every excuse in the book about why we shouldn't take responsibility. And sometimes it might seem legitimate. How many of you think that Ananias should have been afraid of Saul? You don't think Ananias should have been afraid of Saul? If I was an Anasa, I would have been afraid of Saul. Let's be honest. This guy was killing people. He had, he had the responsibility, well, not the responsibility, the mandate to, to kill people, to kill the Christians, put them in chains. I would have been afraid. I would not have gone, yes, Lord. And sometimes we can have these kind of situations in our lives where we, we think, well, but Lord, you know I'm tired. And you might be tired. Do you you know what I'm saying? It's not that God doesn't recognize the situations we have in our life. God just bypasses the situations in our lives and says, nah, it's all right, you don't need to focus on that. No, God knows the situations we, we have in our lives. But despite the situations we have in our lives, despite Ananias' shortcomings. Maybe he thought the place was far. Maybe he was afraid of Saul. Maybe he thought, well, how do I engage this guy? In? How do I know that he's going to receive me? And all of the questions he might... Despite all of that, he took responsibility. And because he went to Saul, the rest is history. Who might be that individual that the Lord is saying to you, take a responsibility to lead by going and consolidating them, visiting them, helping them to get connected to the church. What about training? We have to take a responsibility to win, a responsibility to consolidate, a responsibility to train, to disciple. Timothy, was encouraged when he went to Ephesus by the Apostle Paul. The things that you've received from me in the presence of many witnesses to Timothy 2.2, the same commit to faithful men who would be able to do also. Who will be able to do also. You see, God wants us to take that responsibility To help shape people in the image of Jesus Christ. And sometimes these individuals will become much greater than we ever were. And that should be our desire, actually. How many of you have heard of Angelo Dundee? If you have heard of Angelo Dundee, put your hand up. Two people, three people. Four people. How many of you have heard of Muhammad Ali? Put your hands up. Most of you. Well, few people have heard of Angelo Dundee. Now, Angelo Dundee was Muhammad Ali's coach. He was his trainer. And he attributes a lot of his success to the training that he received are the hands of Angelo Dundee. But few of us know who Angelo Dundee is, but we know who Muhammad Ali is. You see, when we take that responsibility, we should be ready to form and develop and raise people so that they become even greater than ourselves. Now, Jesus Christ said this about you and I. He said what? Greater works than these will you do. And so don't limit yourself. When you take that responsibility to train, to equip someone, don't think that, well, I can only take them this far. Because as you begin to form and shape them and God begins to work in that process, they should become even greater than you are and and be able to take things even further than you ever did. And God's desire is that we will raise up more and more disciples Men and women who will run with God's vision and God's passion for their life, impacting the world, bringing people into the faith, forming them into disciples, fruit that remain, because that is what it's about building the kingdom of God. Building the kingdom of God. And ultimately, God wants us to take a responsibility to send, to win, to consolidate to train, to disciple, and then to send. I love the way that Jesus Christ walked with his disciples. And we can learn so much from the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. You know, when he first met his disciples, all they did was watch him. They just followed him around. Just literally, just followed him around. Just walking in the rabbi's dust. Just looking at what he did. And every now and again, Jesus will stop. He will use a particular situation as a teaching point. The fig tree that was withered, used as a teaching point. And he will use situations that would occur as teaching points. And, and the disciples were just walking around with him. But does not where they stayed. Because at a certain point in that journey, in that relationship, Jesus Christ began to give them responsibility. They had to take responsibility. When it came to the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus Christ gave the disciples the responsibility to take the bread and the loaves to the 5,000. And now they were walking alongside Jesus, not just following him from behind, but they're walking alongside him. And they were doing it together. But Jesus Christ did not leave them in that place of doing it together. He brought them to the place where he stepped back from the picture. And he said, go. And they went two by two. And they came back excited because they were seeing in their ministry without Jesus' presence the very things that Jesus Christ was doing happening in their ministry. And they came back excited that, you know, things are happening. People the people blind see, the lame walk, demons are, are being cast out and Jesus is saying, fantastic, that's great, you guys have got it. But hey, it starts with bringing them into the kingdom. Rejoice that their names are in the book of life. My prayer is that as we take a responsibility, knowing that we have been called of God, we're being equipped of God, and we're being sent of God, that we can make a difference for the kingdom. It's time to begin to stir those wells of revival. You know, the scripture says one can put a thousand to flight. Two, ten thousand. Now you do the maths. How many would we put to flight if there was a hundred of us? No wait, 500. No wait, 1,000. No wait, 5,000. How many would we put to flight? Well, I can tell you we would shake the city. But that's by every person taking responsibility. As it is in Ephesians chapter 4. And I will finish with this as we pray and move now into the baptism. Ephesians chapter 4. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies. Say, every joint supplies. According to the effective working by which every part does its share. Every part. Oh, I pray for that day where we will all take responsibility for our part, for our share. Because I tell you, we can turn this world upside down just as those 12 disciples and those 120 in the upper room turned their world upside down. We can do so by taking those reins of responsibility and saying, God's kingdom advance and see many many come to faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us that opportunity to take a responsibility And we thank you because we know that that responsibility is not onerous because you equip us. You equip us so that we will fulfill the responsibility. Lord, I pray right now for every person in this place that, Lord, we will rise to a new level in our walk and relationship with you. It wouldn't be about looking for the cell leader and the pastor and the leader and the senior minister and the counselor will be about me taking hold of the reins and running with your call and commission for my life. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, well, you know, I don't even know where to start. I haven't even met this Jesus. I don't even know what it means to be called a son, to be called a child. To be de- designated as somebody who has been born from above. And if you're here today, you know, the amazing thing is that it's a simple act of faith. All you need to do is just say yes to that free gift of salvation because He has done the work for you. You've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, Jesus has done the work for you. And He wants you to begin that journey today. And so I want to give this opportunity as we move now to this time of baptism. Say if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you have not been born again. You've never said yes to God. You've never received forgiveness from that cross. Today is your opportunity to do so. With every head bow, every eye closed, like us to just pray this prayer, but especially for those of you who are saying yes to Jesus let's pray this prayer together dear Lord Jesus I come to you now and I confess that I am a sinner I recognize that through your son you made a way of salvation for me I thank you for the cross and what Jesus accomplished I receive forgiveness for my sin I ask that you will come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior from today onwards. In Jesus' name. Now, if you pray that prayer for the very first time, we do have a free gift for you. I just want you to just lift your hand, and we'll just acknowledge it as we move on in the service. And somebody will come and give you that free gift. If you pray that prayer for the very first time, just leave your hand. Just wave at me. Let me see. Is there somebody here who'll pray that prayer for the very first time today? can't see can you help me i can't see the light anybody who is saying yes to jesus for the very first time just lift your hand right now somebody will come thank you thank you there's somebody over to my left here